Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 116. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. We were in the cage last week. This week we're back in the casino. It is a monorail radio roulette. I think I'd rather be in a casino than a cage right now because I feel like I've been in nothing but a cage and everywhere but a casino. I never want to be in the cage. But I always want to be in the casino. Yes. Right? So we put out our call to action, our call to you, our listeners, our friends, for some numbers for monorail radio roulette. Thank you to Taylor Rimmer. For throwing a few numbers our way, this week we landed on Pooh's Heffalump Movie. I do not have to tell you this is the first time we have seen Pooh's Heffalump Movie. Which is kind of a surprise. Do you remember when this came out? I vaguely remember it. I remember Tigger's movie being a big deal. But I feel like this was too. Like I remember a lot of promo for it. I remember a lot of promo but here's the weird thing. I remember the promo, but not the hype. Does that make sense? Yeah, right? totally. So, so this was not nearly as hyped up as Tigger's. I think it was even called, was it called the Tigger movie or Tigger's first movie? Something to that effect. Yeah, but I think that was that was it, is you hadn't had a Winnie the Pooh movie in a while. So the fact that they were giving us new 100 Acre Wood content was a big deal. Yeah, it was exciting, and it only took, like, 17 years to see it. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess, really, I think we should just jump right into this. So we, like I said, going into this on a blind, which is the fun of monorail radio roulette, of Disney Plus roulette, whatever you guys want to call it, because I know people do this at home, too. This is the beauty of Disney Plus, is getting into that deep catalog and finding things you've never heard of or things you've never seen. So I think we just jump right into this here, and I'm going to throw it to you. You can give us the plot for Pooh's Heffalump movie. Our friends in the Hundred Acre Wood awake to a loud trumpet-like noise and rush over to Rabbit's house for an explanation. Rabbit determines that it is a heffalump, and it must be captured in the name of the Hundred Acre Wood. Rue wants to join the expedition, but everyone tells him he is too young, so he sets off on his own in search of a heffalump. Rue finds a small heffalump named Lumpy. Actually, his name is Hefridge Trumpler Brompet Heffalump IV, but we're going to call him Lumpy for short. Yes, and that's what they call him in the film, too. So Rue and Lumpy spend all day playing, and they lose track of time, and Lumpy realizes that it's getting late and he needs to get back to his mother. Rue helps him try to find her, but they can't, and it keeps getting later. Rue suggests that Lumpy comes back with him to find Kanga because she will be able to help. As they get back to the Hundred Acre Wood, Rabbit, Tigger, Pooh, and Piglet think that Lumpy has captured Rue, and they chase him into a trap that they had set earlier. Lumpy feels like Rue lied to him until he frees him from the trap. As they head off in search of his mother again, Rue gets trapped in a deadfall. Kanga and the Heffalump Hunters catch up to them, but aren't able to help Rue. Lumpy summons his grown-up call and signals to his mother. Mrs. Heffalump finds Lumpy and rescues Rue. Rabbit, Tigger, Pooh, and Piglet ask for Lumpy's forgiveness, but all he wants is some more playtime with Rue, and the two bounce off. Okay, um, let's go right into this here. Starting with how much I love the fact that you get that classic Disney Pictures castle with the blue background, and it fades into a cloud in the sky. That was such a nice touch. This whole intro, I feel like they knocked out of the park. It was so nice, and it just felt like 
a classic poo movie. It did. And you got the feel that they were using the multi-plane camera, even though I don't think they were still using the multi-plane camera, but they still had that depth that gave it that classic Disney look like you were just mentioning. What's interesting, though, we're both saying it feels classic, but they didn't open the book. That was kind of something that was a little lacking for me. I can live without it, but you're right. It does not have the feel of the more classic poo films that we had seen. But I don't I don't think they opened um, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Wasn't that the name of the, um, the Saturday morning cartoons? I think so. Right? And I don't think they had the book to open the television show. I'm wondering if that was a deliberate choice because... All of the films up to this point, except for the Tigger movie, too, um, were based off of A.A. A. Milne's books. But because they kept cre- creating additional content, like with the Saturday morning cartoons and now this, I'm wondering if they left out the book because this is so far removed from the source material. And it's really just that you're using the characters. Yeah, because it's really just the the only connection to her, you're right, would, would are just the characters. It's it's not the story at all. Right. Like there's no, you know, there's no honey tree. There's no, there's not even owl in this movie. Yeah. There's, there are a few characters missing from this movie. Um, we'll get to that as we get towards the end of the plot here. Cause I don't want to totally give it away because we're still within like the first 30 seconds of the movie. Um, I love that Pooh is narrating early. I thought that that was a really interesting take on it because typically speaking, He's not telling you the story. You're hearing a story about him. I didn't even catch that, actually. I mean, I realized that he was narrating because Jim Cummings' voice is unmistakable. But I kept thinking the whole time to myself, this is called Pooh's Heffalump movie. And there's really not a lot of Pooh. It's really Rue's Heffalump movie. But that's not going to put people in theaters, is it? it? (laughs) No, it's not. And that's the thing. I mean, you, you figure out within the first two or three minutes of the film... That this is a movie about Rue. Right. But from a marketing standpoint, if you don't put Pooh's name on it, people are not as inclined to rush out to go see it. But it does work, though, because you could make the argument that it's since Pooh is telling the story, it's his story. So it still sort of is his movie. Yeah. Let's. OK. So so now they're, they're all woken up by the sound of the heffalump and they're running in panic I love the fact that when they go knock on Rabbit's door, his ears are in curlers. Yes. That, I thought, was hysterical. That was a really nice touch, yeah. It was. We've definitely seen Rabbit's day being interrupted before. We've seen him woken up out of bed. Like, when um, when Pooh gets stuck, we see Rabbit first thing in the morning. He's got his robe. But we've never seen him with the rollers in his ears. That, that just took it one step further. Yeah. So... Now they move on and they're, they, they've come up with this idea that they're going to trap this heffalump. All the while, nobody's listening to Rue. You know, they, when, when they see the footprints, Rue says, I think they're footprints, and they brush him off. Um, which does work to set up the rest of the movie because, you know, the Hundred Acre Wood, they're, they're all together. It's one big family, but this is one of the first times, I think because it is a Rue-centric movie, that you get the feeling that they kind of just brush him off as a child. 
this scene sort of bothers me a little bit, not as far as them brushing Rue off, but I feel like he's supposed to be a little bit older in this movie than we've seen him before. Um, you know, and obviously that's a big theme is the is him growing up and and Kanga trying to keep her loose. Right. Um, so I get that they made him a lot more inquisitive and he's trying to insert himself with the grown-ups. That's fine. But how does he not know what a heffalump is? Because the heffalump has come up in every single movie prior to this. So I think that that was something that just for continuity's sake, you should have kept it that that he knew what a heffalump was already. Yeah. I mean, the, the timeline is a little janky, right? Because we've already seen the blustery day. We've already seen the heffalumps and woozles. We all know what it is. And Kanga and Rue had been with them really since the start. So you're right. It didn't make any sense that he had no idea what a heffalump was. And it doesn't bother me so much as far as going in chronological order, but because this is the world that we're set in, the the heffalumps come up in every single movie. Like, you have to know. I mean, they even came up in the latest film, Christopher Robin. Right. Right, because there's there's no antagonist. There's no bad guy in the Winnie the Pooh stories. So the closest thing you have are exactly. the heffalumps and woozles. Exactly. So yes, you're right. But but then you go back to being very much on brand because when they all gather their equipment to build their traps, it's just poo with an empty honey pot. I love that scene. I love that they're all taking, you know, it's just a hodgepodge of stuff, which is what they normally assemble when something needs to be done. But this feels like classic poo. Right, because typically speaking, these are stories that Christopher Robin, who's so much like Andy from Toy Story, he's either making these stories up or, or these this is his imagination. And you're right, if if they were putting something together, it would just be, well, what do I have in my hands and we'll just make it work. Exactly. So there is that comfort level there, that level of familiarity. Um, when they, of course, come to the conclusion that they don't have the right tools... Of course, it's Rue that comes with the rope, and Rabbit takes credit for it. Um, classic Rabbit. Classic Rabbit. He's such a Karen. Yeah, I will, especially in this movie. Put a pin in that. Um, when they're throwing their lassos at the, they they basically they take a barrel and they draw a, hemp, a heffalump's face on it, and they're throwing lassos at it. Of course, Rue is the only one that gets the lasso on the barrel. The rest of them miss terribly. And something that stood out to me, he's all excited to go and they tell him, no, you're too young, you can't come, it's too dangerous. As Rue approaches Rabbit to hear the explanation as to why, even though Rue has not taken his lasso back, the lasso is missing from around the barrel. Huh. Like, they, they, they just did not leave the lasso animated, or they didn't draw the lasso on the barrel, it just disappeared. I didn't catch that. I must have been like writing something. Yeah. Because if it just disappeared, that that should have been something that really stands out like a sore thumb. Absolutely. This scene ends now, and you get this um, this scene where Kanga and Rue are interacting, and he's saying, I want to grow up. And I think that as an adult, you you really start to feel bad for Kanga, but you're also like... You wish you could just jump through the screen and shake Rue and say, don't wish to grow up. <laughs> you don't want to pay taxes. Um, but it's it's a really heartwarming scene. And 
what it does more than anything else, because up to this point, Kanga and Rue are kind of secondary characters. Sure. I think this elevates them, which obviously is the point of the movie because it is Rue's movie, but I think it elevates them to being more than just characters that are in the background. Right, because up until this point, we really haven't explored their relationship at all. I mean, half the time when Rue enters a scene, he's coming out of her pouch. Yeah. And usually Kanga is the voice of reason, but she gets like two or three lines a movie. That's it. She's like the silent Bob. Doesn't say much, but when it's her turn, she just goes right for the jugular. Yeah. And the animation here, the the exterior scenes with the fireflies. Oh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely outstanding. And you see them in the window. This is a really, I think this is the best scene in the movie. I think it's my favorite. Yeah. So the next morning, Rue wakes up determined. And how adorable is determined Rue? He's got his rope. He's got his little newspaper hat on. and He's ready to go conquer the day and get the heffalump in spite of the fact that no, that nobody wants him there. So cute. I never, you know, it's not that I, I never really noticed Rue. Like, of course, you think he's always like the cute little guy. But like that scene in particular, it really like makes you fall in love with him. Right. What sort of takes me out of this scene a little bit is it's kind of what I was saying before is that they sort of broke our version of the world by having him not know what the heffalump is. Right. Um, But they sort of do it again here because the hundred acre wood, it's supposed to be in Christopher Robin's mind, right? Like we know that he's off in the woods playing and that he created the stories with all of his toys. Yeah. Um, so even though it was a physical place that he was in, they kind of alluded to it too in the new Christopher Robin movie that like you, yes, it was a real place, but like you sort of broke the barrier. You could sort of teleport there. Yeah. Here, what bothers me is that I feel like it's too much of a physical location that they have this fence up and there's a barrier to where the heffalumps are. Yes. Uh, That's a valid point. It didn't bother me as much as it clearly bothered you, but that's an excellent point. You know what it is? It just got my wheels spinning and it just launched a hundred questions that don't have answers because they're supposed to be in the English countryside. I didn't think elephants were native to the area. How are you containing elephants with this little rinky-dink fence that you got there? Why are there elephants here? Like, It just sort of... It, it took me right out of it. And I, I mean, I know we're supposed to suspend our disbelief, obviously, but it also, it totally made the heffalumps less scary. And I know that's the point of this whole movie was for Rue to break down that barrier and, and just get to know something that's different and realize that it's not scary, which we could all use a little dose of right now. But, um... Yeah, I kind of, I mean, I guess that's it. The Heffalump sequences were always my favorite in the Winnie the Pooh movies. So the fact that this wasn't some weird dream sequence and Rue was able to just walk right up and find one, it sort of bothered me a little bit. 
it may have worked better if he had gone to like a Wonderland sort of thing. But then, of course, they're going to be uh, accused of ripping off Alice in Wonderland. Or even like in a darker part of the forest, like if it just looked or maybe he was out wandering around all day and it's night and things are getting a little bit spooky. Yeah. Here it's broad daylight. He walks across a field and he finds him in like a rock cave. cave. And you're right, though, because they you can suspend reality because a you're watching an animated film, but you can also suspend reality in wondering where the elephants are on the English countryside when this is a place that Christopher Robin has envisioned in his mind. But because they put the fence up, because they've expanded this universe, it kind of does make it more of a real tangible place. But the other thing is, there is no Christopher Robin. Right. You've not even seen Christopher Robin up to this point. And you could have even handled that with a throwaway line and say he's off at school or whatever. But it's just, I didn't need to see this 101st acre. Yeah. That's what ruins it. What does more harm than good for me is I felt that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a term from, from the kids, Rabbit is extra in this movie. <laughs> but he is. Because Rabbit is al- Rabbit has always been a great foil for Rabbit. Yeah. Right. He's he's all knowing and knows nothing. And it usually blows up in his face. And it's done comedically, but it's also done to teach you a lesson. It's also great when he's butting heads with Tigger, which doesn't really happen in this movie either. No, Rabbit is just straight dislikable. Yes. In this movie. He takes credit for things that he didn't come up with. And at times he just talks down to people. Like at one point he basically, he says something to to the effect of putting great minds together accomplishes such and such, but no greater than mine. Uh, that's not the exact line, but it's something like that. And I kind of felt like we were losing the appealing rabbit and we were getting to just a completely obnoxious character. I mean, the taking credit for ideas that weren't his, that was always on brand for Rabbit. There there was always, I think, I forget which one, which story it's in, but he, he does it to Pooh all the time because Pooh is supposed to, he dumbs Pooh down. He's always right. putting Pooh down. Right. And he has, I, I do recall him saying, I'm glad I thought of this Pooh when it totally wasn't his idea. So I'm I'm on board with that, but you're right. This isn't sarcastic rabbit. This is, you know, it's not anal retentive rabbit. We've talked about that before. But this is just an out and out mean rabbit. It's like those rollers came out of his ears and and he was a different person. Yeah. So that's right as they're setting off on the expedition. So they're going off to do their thing. They have no idea that Rue is out. And then we get to the scene that you were just discussing where Rue comes across um, Lumpy and Lumpy goes and he takes Rue's lunch out of his bag and he kind of, um, there's like a tall grass that hides the entrance to the cave. Is it wrong that Rue is slowly starting to pull that grass back and I was really hoping for a spoof of E.T.? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I wasn't the only one that thought that. Even though to this day that scene scares me in E.T. Probably just because of the noise that he makes, but I was hoping for something similar, yeah. And... I think that, you know, poor Lumpy obviously has no idea what he's in for, but I like this introduction to this new character. 
I like Lumpy from the jump. I think he's adorable. The only thing that sort of bothers me, though, is that he doesn't have the heffalump aesthetic. He looks like he fits in this world because he does look stitched together like Pooh, like Tigger, like yeah, everyone yeah. else. But again, heffalumps are not supposed to. Right. And they kind of look like patchwork. Yes. And he doesn't have that. He's really, he kind of just looks like a pink elephant. Right. But I guess that is sort of the point, And it does speak to the theme overall, is that you've got this idea in your head of what he's supposed to be, and you were told to be afraid of him, but he does look just like you, and he's not that much different. See, here's the thing. I think that that message works, but here's the problem. We've already seen that. Yes. So that's the thing. It's like, you could... You could have accomplished the same message with just because somebody looks different doesn't mean they are different. But I think you're right. I think they try to cuten him up too much. Yeah. And he does not look like a heffalump. If this had been the first time we'd ever seen a heffalump and otherwise it was just folklore, then this would have really worked. But the fact that we have a basis for comparison and we know what they are. Uh, I think that that was aesthetically that was a miss. Exactly. And it made me miss, you know, like the accordion noses Mm -hmm. and, you know, they had like funky hats and I missed all of that. But I think you're right. I think he's an immediately endearing character. He's cute. He's funny. Based on his behavior and based on the way that he speaks, I do think that there is an age discrepancy between him and Rue. Sure. I get the feeling that he is a lot younger than Rue is, which as the movie gets fleshed out more and more, obviously they develop a friendship and they never come out and say it, but I kind of get the feeling that as the movie goes on that... Lumpy doesn't just look at Rue as a friend. I get the feeling that he sort of looks up to Rue because Rue tells him I'm a grown-up. And I th- and that's that's how they set up the whole find your call thing that that plays out later in the film. So I I feel like Rue becomes a role model for Lumpy. I absolutely love this scene for that reason the juxtaposition of rue saying i'm a grown-up i'm a grown-up and yet lumpy drags him by his trunk and he lifts him up in the air and then you've also got lumpy talking about growing up but he's still responding he's trying to respond to his mother's call um and and relates to rue on that level who's you know puffing his chest out but he's like don't you have to go back when your mother calls and Rue's like yeah It's a great little scene. Yes. As is the scene where Tigger and Rabbit end up together on their expedition and Pooh and Piglet end up completely separate as they're talking about how important it is that they all stay together because Piglet is leaving the trail of jelly beans. The minute he starts laying those jelly beans down, you know Pooh's going to eat them. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's it's like (laughs) it's like the worst, most played out gag possible. And it was so predictable but it still paid off when it happened. What bothers me, though, is that Rabbit and Tigger never work together. Tigger is always the foil. I mean, usually Pooh and Piglet branch off together, but usually Rabbit on his own, Tigger on his own. Well, you had to put them, for comedy, you had to put them together. But that's the thing. They didn't really they didn't really do anything with it. You know, Tigger wasn't his antagonist. True. Other than get captured by Pooh and Piglet inadvertently, you're right. They don't 
when, when they think that they're a heffalump, nothing really happens there. There is a great scene, though, right before that happens, where um, Rue gets lumpy to the aforementioned fence, mm-hmm. back to the 100-acre wood, and Lumpy doesn't want to go because he says... Um, I've been told there are scary things there. Listening to the description of these horrifying things as he's describing the citizens of the Hundred Acre Wood. First off, it's very funny, but I love seeing that other side of life. Yeah, Lumpy's one-dimensional descriptions of everyone are great, especially when he circles around to Rabbit. Rabbit, even yes. <laughs> Even Rue's like, yeah, he's okay when she gets to know him. Yeah, but he said that a big-eared thing that just yells at people. Yeah, accurate. Yeah, very accurate. I love when um, when the, the four of them, because Eeyore, Eeyore gets separated too because he's bringing way too much stuff. You don't get a lot of Eeyore in this movie. Not nearly enough Eeyore. I know. But, you know, when he is on screen, he's just Eeyore. Something falls from the sky and he looks up and he goes, the sky is falling. I knew this day would come. Just <laughs> a beautiful, self-deprecating Eeyore. But I think one of the funniest sight gags of this movie is when... Piglet, uh, Piglet, Pooh, Rabbit, and Tigger are all hiding in that log, and they use Piglet as a periscope. It's hysterical. It's fantastic. And poor Piglet has just gotten done talking about how scared he is, and then they make him the sacrificial lamb to poke his head out, yeah. which Rabbit was not willing to do his on his own. Yes, exactly. Which... They didn't even do that in the Christopher Robin movie because I think when they go into hiding and they're looking out for the heffalump, isn't it? No, it's Eeyore because Eeyore starts playing along with Christopher Robin and feeding them what they want to hear about him destroying the heffalump. Exactly, yeah. Right. But we have seen them. I was thinking the same thing. We have seen them hidden in the log before. Right. Let's jump ahead here to where Lumpy finally does enter the 100-acre wood. I'm so glad they trashed Rabbit's garden. Oh, my God. The inadvertent destruction of the 100-acre wood. I mean, the only... Like, it works for the story because, obviously, when they come back and they see the place is destroyed and they see the track marks, they just assume that a heffalump has come to attack. But, in reality, Rue would have known better. Than to go into Pooh's house and to and to go trash Rabbit's garden. As much as I'm happy that they trashed Rabbit's garden, I agree. Pooh's house was kind of an accident because they went inside and Lumpy's just too big for the space. But I was kind of surprised, and I was like, of all people, you're gonna mess with Rabbit stuff. Not a good move on his part. But Not again, good. I'm glad they did it. I'm glad they did it, and I, we, you didn't get the reaction from Rabbit that you thought you would. Like, yeah. I was waiting for them to figure out that it was Rue and or Lumpy that they were playing too hard and that they were doing too much. And I was waiting for them to kind of get their comeuppance and learn a lesson out of that. But that just kind of hits a dead end after they assume that the Heffalump has come to destroy the 100-acre uh, wood. You know what's also a big miss in this scene is that you can play it off that the rest of them are gone in search of the heffalump so nobody's there and they're able to do this undetected. But Kanga's been home this entire time. Yeah. So you're telling me she didn't see Rue come back? Especially when she's sort of looking out for him? Well, not just that, but the whole motivation to by, to go back was to get to Kanga. Right. Well, no, actually, wait. 
not because this they time. Go, that, there's but, so much back and forth in this movie. There's a lot of back and forth, and they go back multiple times. This was he just wanted to introduce them to everybody, and he wanted to prove that he could catch a, capture a heffalump. Right, and at this point, even though they're friends, Rue still wants to prove that he's a grown-up, so he's still sort of using Lumpy, and it sets up the end where Lumpy thinks that he lied. Right. And I actually, I thought that was kind of an interesting layer because you sort of don't trust Rue because he is still trying to impress everyone. I mean, ultimately, you know that you can trust Rue. He's not ill-intentioned, but you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. That's really what it is. And then it does happen when they all do come back to see that the Hundred Acre Woods have been basically, not destroyed, but if they've been ransacked. And now Rue is bringing Lumpy back because now they want to get to Kanga because they can't, they're basically, they're lost and they can't find um, Lumpy's mother. Right, that was it. They, when after they destroyed the garden, that's when Lumpy realized it was getting late and he's got to go back now. Right. That's where, yeah, this back and forth starts and th- that's where it the ending starts to drag a little bit for me because there's a lot of scenes, there's a lot of getting lost, there's a lot of just walking around and then and then the traps too. It's like a condensed animated version of Lord of the Rings <laughs> where they're just walking in the woods and getting lost. Yeah. Yeah. But when they come back to get to Kanga, they, you know, the, the crew of the Hundred Acre Woods see that Lumpy is with Rue and they say it's got Rue. And it's a very funny misunderstanding. It's classic poo. It is, until it's not, because the actual capture of Lumpy, I understand that they're trying to tug at the heartstrings of the viewer, and they're trying to really set up the message that they're going to send at the end of the film, but I kind the way that it happens, because it doesn't happen just once, it happens twice, Right. I feel like it inadvertently turns Tigger, Pooh, Piglet, and Rabbit into villains. Am I the only one that felt this way? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's kind of harsh imagery, but the way that the whole thing plays out, it would have just been funnier as a misunderstanding if it would have been, he's got Rue, and they go to capture him, and Rue goes, no, wait, this is just my friend, blah, 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 and we gotta get him home, and Heffalumps are, they're good, and they're not what you guys say they were, and the the four of them are made to feel foolish. But the fact that they capture him and then the, he gets broken out and then they they uh, lasso him again and capture him a second time, it's... I feel like there was a way they could have gone about that and still told the same story and sent the same message. I honestly thought that's where it would end. I thought Rue was just going to explain, no, He's nice, not what we thought he was, and then they were just going to find Lumpy's mother and cut out of it. And I would have been more than okay with that, especially because you're right, it does villainize them. I think it would have been even more effective if maybe just Rabbit kept harping on it, but to rank Pooh and Piglet into that... And even Tigger. Tigger, I could see if they played it off as a misunderstanding because right. he's sort of easily led. Yes. Actually, the misunderstanding is a classic Tigger thing. Yeah. 
more than anyone else. But I kind of wish they had put the onus on Rabbit instead of lumping everybody in because you're right. Or even maybe because Eeyore's been dipping in and out this entire time, maybe Eeyore accidentally captured him or something. Yes. And I can deal with them dismissing Rue again because they did set that up in the beginning. So if they're not going to listen to his explanation, fine. But yeah, I definitely don't like that the four characters get dragged down and, and they do something that's really unlikable. Right. And totally uncharacteristic of, yeah. of, of, of even Rabbit. Right. Let's call it what it is. It's uncharacteristic of even him. So the film ends with Rue getting caught in... It's it's like a mountain of uh, tree trunks that have come down, I guess, in some sort of gorge or a pit. It sort of looks like the briar patch, but with tree trunks. And Lumpy, panicking to get his mother, finds his call, which is just the most stock footage, for lack of a better <laughs> term, a, fil- a film library elephant sound, and it just plays <laughs> over and over again. Um, but he finds his call and misses... Heffalump comes and they rescue Rue and then Rue and uh, Lumpy get to play and then they introduce him to Christopher Robin in the end credits. Christopher Robin does not even get a speaking line here, but it's obvious the message that they were trying to send. And I think that they do accomplish that message of kind of, you know, break the barrier down and don't believe the hype and don't believe the things that you are told. Because there is a line that I thought was very poignant when when Lumpy is describing everybody to Rue and Rue asks him where he heard these things from and Lumpy says, I don't know, everyone. Like, there's never a source as to where these stories started. So I think that the movie accomplishes its ultimate goal of kind of, squashing stereotypes that's the point i think they do it well but there were certain things where i feel like they could have just cleaned it up a little bit and still told the same story and sent the same message home yeah i definitely feel like the message was effective and i like the way that they wove it into the story but what i think they could have done a better job with was keeping it true to the characters because I feel like the way that the message got delivered wasn't true to everything that we know about Winnie the Pooh. Like it was great that they developed rumor to tell this story, but yeah, the fact that you villainize your core four to do it, that was a big miss. And I'm wondering if that has to do with where the film was produced. This was animated in Japan And I'm wondering if that was because you didn't have your traditional Disney animators working on this film that you are starting to lose some of that classic Pooh feel because they did get, even though they have Jim Cummings, um, and I'm sure that they had some of the same team in the higher up positions making sure that the story was consistent with, you know, the whole Hundred Acre Universe. Yeah, there were still new screenwriters. Um, I believe the director was new, so I I'm wondering if that's where it does start to lose a little bit of the tradition. And because you're in Japan and not Burbank, you don't have the kindly old man in the cardigan swe- uh, sweater elbowing you saying, "Hey, that's not really how we did this with Piglet, or or how we did this with Eeyore." 
Right. And that's not to say that the animation is wrong because I think they nailed the characters. Yes. I think they nailed the Hundred Acre Wood. I think that's all fine, except for except for the depiction of the Heffalump. Uh, but that's that's even not, you know, one animator's fault. I think that's a joint decision that they made on the aesthetic and it was just kind of a miss. But my issue is not with the animation itself. It's with the characters and the story. And I, I think that's where you didn't have enough supervisors keeping keeping those characters accurate. Yeah. This was one of the last hand-drawn Disney animated films. This was actually the last one that they produced at Disney Animation Studios in Japan. They shut down after this was finished because they were moving away from the traditional hand-drawn into the computer animation. Um, so I think they really did want to go out on top. And I think w one of the things, other than these amazing characters that have become timeless, that you expect in a Winnie the Pooh film is incredible music. And the Sherman brothers have written some of the most incredible music of all time. Certainly, they've lent some unbelievable songs to the Hundred Acre Universe, as you so eloquently put it. So I how how do you how do you try to match that? Because it is virtually impossible. Can't top it, that's for sure. But they tried, and I think they came close because Disney tapped into Carly Simon to write the music for this film. It's an interesting choice. Obviously, she's a legend. She's an incredible lyricist. We realized the music had a very different feel to it. It was not until the end credits that we saw that they had credited Carly Simon has had had written the music. And it was at that point that that was the aha moment. It was like, well, of course, it's Carly Simon. Then it made all the sense in the world as to why these songs were so unique to this film. That's what really stood out to me was that the music felt so familiar and I was able to recognize something that was familiar to me, but not in the sense of poo. And I actually didn't like that about it at first because I was like, all right, something is off here. I, I know this and I know it's not going to be the Sherman brothers, but it did feel very disconnected from the hundred acre universe. Yeah. I mean, before they, before we knew that they had credited her, I almost thought that maybe like um, Kenny Loggins had written the music for it because he did write that song about Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh for his children. That became a huge radio hit. Yes. So that actually would have been cool. But but th this sort of had that feel to it. The first song on the soundtrack is the horribly hazardous Heffalumps. Um, I love the folklore game of telephone that they play here. I think that the lyrics are very fun. They're creative. It makes sense that it's Carly Simon. With every verse they sing, this description gets worse and worse and worse, which is where the game of telephone gets so over-exaggerated, it's great. But this song is not really the earworm that some of the other songs in this movie are, or even... Uh, some of the other songs in this universe when you think about songs like Heffalumps and Woozles, of course. No, it's certainly not. I actually really didn't like this song. Carly Simon or not, I respect her. I, I do love her music, but um, the song is just too upbeat. Conceptually, I like what they tried to do with the game of telephone, but 
the heffalumps are supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be foreboding. And this was just too fast paced, too upbeat. I mean, I think that with this movie, they were going for a much younger audience than they ever have with Winnie the Pooh. Mm -hmm. So I can sort of let it slide in that regard. But the the fan in me was disappointed because the Heffalumps and Woozles segment was always my favorite part when, you know, it's raining and Pooh floats up out of his body and yes. he enters the dream sequence. And that's what I was seriously missing here. And I think I could have lived without it in the animation if they had done the song right. Yeah. Little Mr. Rue. This song which is going to sound so dumb because Carly Simon wrote this music, but this sounds the most like Carly Simon's songwriting. For sure. I love how the song bounces off the animation, which is really more a credit to the animators than it is to Carly Simon. Um, but I feel like this song is written for every parent and every child, right? All the kids that want to grow up too fast, the parents that don't want them to grow up too fast. And it's so poignant that at the end, Rue tells Kanga, that he no longer needs his nightlight. He's outgrown his nightlight. This, we said it before, by far is the most powerful scene in the movie. Yeah, this was really the perfect marriage of story and music coming together. The only thing that I wish they had done was I wish they had let Kanga sing it throughout because she does the verse and then they sort of come out of the window and then you have... You know how much I love this, the ambient voice singing. Which is, I believe that was Carly Simon. I think so too. I mean, this was not supposed to be a musical, so I'll give that a pass. But just because the scene has so much heart, I would have liked to stay with Kanga for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. The name game. This seems lazy and not Carly Simon. Well, that's because it was not Carly Simon. She did not write this for this film. This were two other songwriters... Um, that the whole premise was Rue asked Lumpy, how can you possibly remember this long-winded name that you have? And Lumpy's like, I can't, so I created this name game. I think it's there. I mean, this is the most catering they're doing to like really little children in the movie. Um, so this song to me is a miss. Carly Simon or not, this song is an insult to the Sherman brothers. So I'm really glad that Carly Simon didn't write it, so I'm not taking that dig at her. Um, it's ridiculous. I mean, I'm glad they didn't go for straight banana fana faux fana, but like, th this is just as bad. Well, thankfully, it's a very quick song, and while uh, the scene, while Little Mister Rue is the most powerful s scene in the movie, the best song of the movie, in my opinion, is Shoulder to Shoulder. And that's what follows the name game. Obviously, I the 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 message transcends more than just this movie. I love that Rue takes the lasso off and says, "You're no longer captured," and they continue to go on and play together. Um, yeah, this is just another really really strong song by Carly Simon in this movie. I love the lyrics. I think this song feels the most like Carly Simon, but I think Little Mister Rue is probably my favorite sequence. Okay, um, do you have anything else here, or are we ready to give our final review of Pooh's Heffalump movie? No, go ahead with go ahead with your final synopsis. So I think it was smart to use the Pooh franchise as a vehicle for young children. 
that you're trying to send them this message um, and you obviously want to start them young. And this, I, I love that you call it the 100 Acre Universe. I think that 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 has transcended generations. We've all grown up with Winnie the Pooh. I think it is so smart that this is what they used instead of, you know, Mickey Mouse. Because it's just so easy to do Mickey with everything. And, and you could. But I feel like Winnie the Pooh specifically, everybody loves Mickey Mouse. But Winnie the Pooh speaks to children. You know what I'm saying? So I think that was so brilliant that they did this. Um, I think that at times they focused too much on the sad aspect of the movie. There's a lot of this movie that I think they try to tug at your heartstrings and it kind of just comes up more like a downer. I also don't know that you really needed to make us sympathetic towards a heffalump because as I pointed out to you before... We've seen them. They are the closest thing we have to a villain in the in this this franchise. Um, but I guess if you're trying to send this message, you can't do it with anything more than a heffalump. But you do get that janky timeline again because now here we are in Christopher Robin and he's grown up and we're back to... I mean, they, it's more the woozles than it is anything else, but he has to defeat a heffalump so we're back to this timeline where heffalumps are are bad and they're not but then they are again obviously when they made this they didn't know they were making the christopher robin movie but you do have now some inconsistencies and a very janky timeline where it comes to this poo franchise but with all of that being said am i gonna watch this again no but i'm also not their target demographic i would say that if you are a parent that wants to show your kids something that's not only entertaining, but something that I think is very important in sending an important message, I would absolutely recommend this film. I agree with you. Um, I'm not going to necessarily sit down and watch it again myself. I don't think it has that much rewatchability, but if we had a child, certainly. And I definitely agree with what you said, that this is a good introduction to Pooh, um, the message that it sends certainly makes it a very contemporary introduction to Pooh. However, I feel like almost anyone could have told this story. Maybe not necessarily Mickey Mouse, but I could certainly see the Muppets doing something like this. Sure. Uh, so with that said, um, I think that's where for me it just doesn't hold up because it doesn't feel like your traditional Winnie the Pooh film. And that's not necessarily rooted in the story so much. It's more about that they they broke some of the world that we know. Absolutely. And and they, you know, violated some of the characters by by villainizing them a little bit and in that regard it just doesn't hold up but we're interested in knowing what you have to say you can let us know on twitter instagram and facebook at monoreal radio you can also email us monoreal radio at gmail.com news of the week is coming up and thank god it's finally some good news but first a quick break hey guys my name is mike i listen to jackie and sean's podcast every week on my commute into work 
So I reached out to Jackie, and she helped me put together the perfect getaway. I did a four-night Disney cruise ship, and she was able to answer every question that I threw at her. She put together the perfect dates and an insurance plan that made the whole experience stress-free. She was able to help me with little tips and tricks, like you can get a Mickey Mouse bar delivered to you any time of the day. And I think that was a mistake because now I put about 10, 15 pounds on. I'll definitely be using Jackie again in the future. Thanks for everything. So if you would like some completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, get in touch with me through any of our social media channels at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. We got a lot of news this week, starting with Disney Plus and Taylor Swift. She went and did something very surprising. She pulled a Beyonce. Yes, she did. I knew something was coming, because if you follow Taylor on her social media, she dropped her album, and a week prior, she had posted a selfie with the caption, not much going on. And I think yesterday or the day before, uh, she did the same thing. So I kind of knew that something was coming. But um, she is dropping on Disney Plus uh, folk, the recording of Folklore. Um, so we're going to get to see a recording of her studio sessions. And I'm kind of bummed that she did this today because she is completely stealing Mandy Moore's Thunder. It is the <laughs> 10th anniversary of Tangled. And all Disney Plus cares about is Taylor Swift. We've also got some more content coming to Disney+. Plus. We got a trailer this week for Godmothered. It comes out on December 4th. It stars Isla Fisher, Jane, uh, Jane Curtin, and Jillian Bell, who a lot of you who are Run Disney people know her as the lead from Britney Runs a Marathon. Um, okay, so trailer came out. What is your initial reaction? I think it looks really fun. Um... I think the timing is interesting because it is the holiday season and this doesn't necessarily seem like a holiday movie, but it's a family movie. It feels like a feel-good movie. It also feels, to me, like Enchanted meets Legally Blonde and not in a rip-off-y kind of way. Um, that's just kind of my gut reaction to the initial trailer, but um, I like the cast. And what I really like is that, you know they kind of portray this godmother as not necessarily a fish out of water because I think that would toe the line a little bit too much into the enchanted territory. Mm -hmm. But um, she was clearly hoping for a little girl to godmother and instead she gets like a down on her luck 30 year old, which I think is a really fun twist. I think it's insanely relatable. Yes. Uh, drinking wine in your sweatpants is very relatable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, Times I'll have changed. <laughs> I raise my hand. I've done it. I may or may not be doing it as soon as we're done here. I may be doing it now. You don't know. <laughs> I'm wearing pants, though, at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I um, I think this is funny, and I really, I really like that scene. Uh, and I hope they that's sort of a running bit where it seems like they're in training or they're in a classroom setting, and this newbie is amongst all of these seasoned godmothers so i think that could be really fun yeah i'm excited because enchanted i said it when we reviewed it on the show and it's even more true now has become one of my favorite disney movies so i'm excited for this but i do fear that they're not going to toe the line so much and they are going to cross over into a situation that it seems like it's just a straight ripoff 
but obviously I'm going to hold any review until we actually see the finished product because they only show you so much in a trailer anyway. Enchanted just celebrated an anniversary too, by the way. Yeah. when it, I hope we're getting a sequel. They keep saying we're getting a sequel. I want a sequel. Uh, if you guys are Parks fans and who is not a Parks fan, this is some news that is so wildly exciting because you sort of hope that it signals a bit of a return to normalcy. As of January 1st, park hopping is back. Sort of. Sort of. The parks are still operating at 35%, so you need a reservation to get into your first park. However, you don't need a reservation to get into your second park, which you can't enter until after 2 p.m., well, I think that's sort of the catch, right? Is that they're still going to be monitoring attendance. So your second park, you might not get to dictate that. You might just get a ping that says, at this time, you can go and leave your current park and get into Animal Kingdom whichever or wherever park. you're going. Well, but here's the thing where people are going to have to be really careful. Um, right now, everything is still operating with the abridged hours. So... Epcot and Studios are opening at 11 and Animal Kingdom is closing at 5. So you definitely don't want to start your day at Epcot or Studios and then go to Animal Kingdom because then your day is going to be shortened to six hours. So that's something you're going to have to be really, really careful about. What I'm hoping is that this is sort of a, a signal to the bigger picture that maybe we're going to start seeing those hours increase little by little. It would be nice to see magic hours, maybe parades. They're, they're testing fireworks. So you're kind of hoping hoping that the door is opening. It would also be nice to see those hours get extended so that maybe they can bring back a few more cast members. Absolutely. And Speaking we know of, of at least members. one job opening. Um, Joe Rohde announced that on January 4th, he is retiring. He is a Disney legend. He really was the creative mind behind what we know as Disney's Animal Kingdom. And I think that he is a presence that is going to be missed, but we've had a lot of wonderful Imagineers and animators that have stepped aside and moved on, and, and it opens the door for some new people and new creativity. But uh, I think certainly he has left a lasting impression on Disney as a whole, and it's, it's hard to debate. I mean, his presence will be missed. Absolutely. I mean, he's had a 40-year career and he's going out on top. I just hope that this was his decision and that this was not dictated by, you know, let's be honest, they cannot do new construction, really. Right. The focus was on Epcot and updating that. And we know now that if it wasn't, if they didn't already break ground on it, it's not getting done for a while. Right. So I just hope that he didn't leave because he knows there's not going to be any new projects for a while. But I mean, like I said, he's going out on top. You can't really, I, I don't blame him and he's got nothing to be sad about because what an amazing career. Thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your pod, on your podcast platform of choice, as well as follow us on all of our social media Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, at Monoreal Radio. And, of course, you have links to every episode of the show, plus all of the social media and the email address 
at monorealradio.com. Again, thank you guys so much for joining us. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.